wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. You can connect with us through our social media links at bleedingdaylight.net. One of the things that we humans crave most of all is acceptance. My guest today is talking about the bitterness of rejection, a feeling unlovable. Please think about who else would benefit from hearing this episode and let them know where to find Bleeding Daylight. We've all experienced occasional harsh words from others and felt the sting of careless insults. But what if your whole life was marked by harmful slurs, bullying and abuse? Sue Call was subjected to hurtful comments that had her believing that she was ugly and unlovable. Through Crown of Beauty International, Sue now sets others free from the lies that many believe about themselves. She's also an author, writing the book Broken but Undefeated, Journeying Through the Hall of Faith. I'm so pleased to have her joining us on Bleeding Daylight today. Sue, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rodney. It's so great to be here. I want to talk about the bullying and the teasing that you experienced, but maybe we can start before that with what sparked that teasing. Tell me about the physical issues that you faced as a child. Sure. Well, when I was born, I was born with a very severe cleft palate. In fact, they sent me home to die because they didn't know how to close the hole. I was missing a nose, upper lip, upper palate, and many other medical issues of breathing and heart conditions. But my mom was a nurse, and she was committed to keep me alive. And she also had a faith in God and prayed and felt that God said no Um, I have a long life for this baby. And so she took me home and she figured out a way to get food into me and build my strength back up. Took me back to the hospital three months later after I gained some significant weight and convinced the doctor to operate and I survived. But I had to have 26 major operations during the first 15 years of my life. That was pretty rough in and of itself. The first, uh, before I started school, the first five years, I was in the hospital quite a lot. And then after that, every summer. But the real problem came, as you are pointing out, uh, wasn't just the physical issues, but probably even more difficult for me was the relational and emotional issues because the boys in particular would tease me. The girls were okay, um, very extroverted. I had lots of friends with girls, but the boys, especially particular ones, would every day just barrage me with these terrible words, gave me the nickname dog face. And it was complimented also by, in first grade, my teacher told me that I talked too, too funny because I was still getting a lot of speech therapy, in fact, all the way till I was 11. She said, we don't understand you, so you can't be in the reading circle. Go sit down. And so I was getting it from all angles. It was pretty hard. And it must have been difficult then to, I guess, stop the other children from teasing you if they could actually see what seemed to them to be like teasing coming from an authority figure like the teacher. Yeah, that probably didn't help. But I think regardless, you know, little boys, they don't, 
they don't really understand the impact they're having, I guess, but just left me in tears and I would come home every day. And my mom was wonderful and she'd be like, oh, you're beautiful. But when you're just hearing it throughout your school day, it's kind of hard to believe. It must have been difficult to reconcile the love that you were getting from your mom at home with the way that the rest of the world seemed to be treating you. As you say, there were some of those girls that were kind, but when you're getting this barrage of insults day after day and that's where you're spending your time, it must have been incredibly difficult and incredibly dispiriting for you. Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, moving my mom's things lately and I found my old report cards and the ones from elementary were very average at best. And I think it was all the turmoil because as soon as I hit uh, seventh grade, where I still had some surgeries, but it was significantly better, no speech problems, no major health problems. Suddenly, you know, I'm an A student. So you could see how it even impacted how well I could do at school. I will say, though, that we moved when I was in second grade and that was helpful. The boys were better. It's still, I feel like a lot of the damage had already been done, but it was still going on. I remember even into one of my grades in sixth grade where two particular boys were horrible. I mean, they just said nasty stuff every day, but I did have wonderful support in my neighborhood. We had a lot of children in our neighborhood. We were all really close. We're like 20 kids. We get together every day, usually in our backyard. We had the biggest yard and play. And I felt like if Pete, what I concluded from that is if people would give me a chance and know me, they would like me, that I'm a very likable, lovable person in my personality. But the boys slash later, my attitude was men aren't going to give me a chance to really know me. And that's interesting to know that you had that great support network. There were also the girls at school that were kind of on your side. But the words of those boys continue to cut deep. And I, I suppose it tells us something about the fact that it doesn't take a lot of that kind of, I guess, negativity for us to take that on board, even if we are getting positive messages. So how did that display itself in you? How did you feel really about yourself at that time? So I came to the conclusion that I'm a rejectable person, that no man will ever love me. He can like me, but he won't love me. And so unfortunately, that carried into my adult life, which I did accept the Lord and become a Christian in latter part of high school. But when I went off to college, I didn't have any support. There wasn't a Christian group or anything I could be a part of. I felt very vulnerable being around all these men, especially on the weekend when everybody get together, there was nothing to do. It's a kind of suburban area with not much to do except the parties, the main party to be put on. But I would go there and I would have so much fear and insecurity of rejection around these men that I found myself drinking to medicate or to take away that fear it did accomplish that. Unfortunately, we know there's a lot of negative results um, to letting down your guard, so to speak, um, when we when we drink, right? We 
especially too much. <laughs> and so that led to some unfortunate problems of men taking advantage of me, which only instilled more fear. <laughs> and so finally by my uh, sophomore year, I just put up walls. I even dressed more sloppy so that to make sure no guy would even look at me for a wrong intent. I didn't, at that point, I felt like they'll look at me not because I'm beautiful, not because they're attracted to me or really care about me, but because they want to abuse me. But praise God, in my junior year in college, I fully surrendered my life to the Lord and um, started getting discipled by some women in a different college, but who would faithfully call me or visit me or I'd go visit them and really built me up. And it was uh, the beginning of a journey of healing, which really took place over the next 10 years. And in my early 30s was really a pivotal time I could tell you about if you'd like to hear. I'd definitely like to hear because this is, I guess, that pivotal moment for you when you stop believing the lies that other people are telling you and you start understanding who you were created to be. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. So what happened is I graduated from college and I went into full-time Christian work with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, in campus work in Hawaii. I loved it. I had a very fruitful ministry. We had a big team. I even loved the guys on the, on the team, but I always had my guard up. And there was one particular guy that I was to work closely with. He was such a sweet guy. And yet I found myself angry at him a lot, misjudging him, kind of pushing him away. And I finally realized there there's something messed up about me because I think I thought, oh, I'm okay now. You know, I'm an adult and kids aren't teasing me. And yet I'm still having these trigger moments that I knew that I needed healing from. So I did go see a counselor. She dug up the fact that I didn't mention, by the way, when I was 12, that my father left us. He was still in my life, but just the fact that he walked out of our family and we only saw them on weekends and they got divorced, my parents, and they both remarried. But that just drilled in the fact that I couldn't trust a man. So that's what she was helping me to see. I got some healing through prayer with her. And I would say, yes, beginning to encounter truth, you know, her pointing out that this is a fear going back to your childhood. The Lord kind of led me to bring a deeper level of forgiveness for my dad. So that was really special. And it helped some, but I still was finding this triggering going on. So I just gave it to God and I said, Lord, I need your help, please. I realize now that I don't love men the way I love women and the way I love you and the way you love men. And so please heal my heart. And it was shortly after that, again, I'm in my early thirties and I'm having this time, my morning devotion. And I come to Psalm 139, which I'd read who even knows how many times and I'm loving verses one through 12 and, oh God, you always see me, you're always with me when I get up, when I sit down, wherever I go, you know, you, you protect me. All this was encouraging me. And then I come to verse 13 and by now 
I have learned to really do deep digging in the word. And so I'm the type who would then go into the original languages and I'm digging in keywords in Hebrew. And I come to this, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Actually, David says it, so he says it in the eye. I am fearfully and wonderfully made and I know it full well. And he, in fact, he starts by saying, I praise you, Lord, because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that was verse 14, when, uh, Psalm 139. And I thought, what does fearfully mean? That seems, I mean, I just kind of read over it, but I'm like, okay, there's fear you usually think of as a negative thing. So I dug into it and I really discovered it was talking about the all that we have of God, that he created us. And it goes back to Genesis 1, where we're created in the image of God. And I realized that, I reflect the image of God, that, and God is beautiful. God is talented. God is wise. God is has all these beautiful characteristics of love, joy, all these things. And I thought, wow, that's how he created me to reflect that. So I reflect the beauty of the Lord. And then I looked up the word wonderfully, fearfully, wonderfully made. And that had an, an aspect, not only that you're, wow, you're wonderful, but that you're unique. There's no one else like you. And God thoughtfully designed you that way. And I was just breathtaking. I was like, whoa, I went for a walk with my dog and I'm walking along the beach and at this point, I'm actually living in China, but we live by a beach. And I'm reflecting on this passage and thanking God that I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. And this is something I'm accepting into my head, but it's slowly moving into my heart. And right then, I heard, now not an audible voice, but in my mind, as loud as can be, very clear, Sue, you are beautiful to me. And I knew it was the Lord Jesus, and I just began to weep. And I think from that moment, I realized that I am fearfully, wonderfully made, that I'm beautiful in God's sight. It seemed to be all I cared about, like, here is the number one man, Jesus Christ, who adores me, but also thinks I'm completely beautiful, would never reject me fully, more than accepts me, pursues me in love, cherishes me in his love. It really, Rodney, set me free, and I've never been the same. And so not long after that is when I started the Crown of Beauty International Ministry to help women initially in China, but to really see themselves as God sees them. It's a dramatic turning around to finally see yourself as God sees you, as the way that you are created to be. And I wonder sometimes why it is that we put so much stock into what other people say rather than in what the creator of the universe says about us. Can you, can you help me understand what it was that made that just drop into your heart? As you say, it started out as, this sounds amazing. What was it that helped that really drop into your heart and for you to accept that this is true about me? I want to point out first that children's concept of abstract ideas like love, for example, comes from a representation of people that even if we grew up in a Christian home, which at that, when I was young, I wasn't hearing Christian things, but even if you do, like when I'm raising my own children and I'd say, 
uh, the father loves you, God loves you, then they're right away going to look to their dad and to me up until around age 10 to to comprehend what that means. So if dad was always busy, never had time for them, or if dad, as in my case, left (laughs) for someone else, what that tells a child is that, oh, love is someone who works hard, but is never there for you, for example, or love is harsh when you make a mistake. That's a common one people pick up if parents are too harsh. For me, and it's not just parents, but even those around you, that's how we begin to understand abstract ideas. So for me, that was, well, love is conditional. You know, I have to look a certain way, which I never will. And so obviously I can't be accepted by men. But then as you become an adult, you begin Well, you may not begin, but I think often it requires counseling (laughs) or someone who understands the human psyche or just a wise Christian mentor that says, hey, this is actually not true, that you're believing something that, and it helps if they go back to your childhood and say, when did you start believing that you're rejectable or unacceptable? And they, you bring up your story, they're like, well, that's how you perceived that as a child, and that was your experience. But as an adult, you're not experiencing those types of statements being made about you that you're ugly or rejectable, nor are you actually experiencing men rejecting you so much. Now, there maybe there is someone, you know, a boyfriend or somebody that rejected you, but an isolated situation, not all men. I think for me that helped, that kind of loosened it. But what I did not really see was how God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ sees me. And I think it's, I guess it's like a supernatural event that you have to work into. I had to see that this is another piece of it. You need to come to realize that that you need to be healed, that your behavior is being impacted by these lies. What we do in our conferences, we talk about our both our testimonies, but scripture and what's true. Then I have this whole list that we look at at the end of the conference of lies that people tend to believe about themselves. And I have them go through and say, if you ever believe this lie, and they go through each one and they They highlight it if they have. Then we get into a small group. The leader will pray over them first, pray truth. Lord, we reject this lie that Sue is ugly or rejectable and unlovable. And we accept the truth. And then we begin to speak out the truth, both from the word and and statements of truth. And then we have that person pray that prayer where they're actually rejecting that lie. So it's deep into our soul And it requires, in a sense, surgery from the Holy Spirit and from the Lord's love coming over us and from God's word. That's what Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2 talks about being transformed, like from the caterpillar to the butterfly. It's the same Greek word used that we use for metamorphosis, being transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word. Even though I had that epiphany, that moment, I then had to meditate every day. And I wrote that scripture out on a card. I put it on my mirror every day. I would see it throughout the day. Every time I looked in the mirror, 
I was just washing my mind in truth. And eventually, within a, a little while, I really came to embrace that this is 100% true. And even if I'm out and about and, you know, some guy just blows me off and because this cute blonde comes up and starts talking to him, whatever. And the enemy, Satan, is going to try to speak out these lies again to you, speaks that lie to me again. I can easily reject it by putting my mind back on truth. The thing that interests me here is you say that it was after this revelation for you and this understanding for you that that you started Crown of Beauty and that you started these conferences. There must be something incredibly powerful when you have sat down with these women, when you have talked through these things, when you've prayed through these things, when they pray about these things, and you see that aha moment when finally it goes from just beyond something I've been taught in a conference to them actually starting to believe, you know what, there's some reality in this. Yeah, and again, it can be very supernatural. I travel all over the world, and one, as you said, that one illustration that popped up into my head is I was in Uganda uh, just before COVID hit, I guess, and one of the gals that attended our conference was an orphan, and in Uganda, if they're an orphan, they don't know the parents, then they give them the last name Baka, which means you have no one. <laughs> and so this poor woman has this name, um, Jessica Baca, like Jessica, you have no one. And she was a young adult, young teenager who'd been basically raped and now had a baby. She came to the conference and she, it was just sad. She just looked like a curled up, rejected, alone mess, right? So anyway, we she shares her story with us. This was in our prayer group. And I said, let's go to prayer. And the word that the Lord gave me for her is chosen. And I said, Jessica, you've been chosen. You've been adopted by the Heavenly Father. He's telling me that right now. And he wants you to call out and thank him and say, yes, I received that. I want to be chosen by you. I am chosen by you. So she begins to pray and instantly she got a picture in her head of the heavenly father and she was sitting in his lap and he's holding her and he's saying, you're mine. And she just started weeping. In fact, we all we knew is she was weeping <laughs> in a happy way and we didn't know why. And after she told us this vision that she had. So that is the powerful work of the spirit where for some people, it's like me, an epiphany of a scripture, but then God's speaking that into my life. For some people, it might be through somebody else bringing that word and bringing that love or acceptance or whatever they need that they begin to realize I have value. You know, for somebody else, it might be a kind of supernatural vision. Another girl in China, when I was speaking in the middle of the talk, she feels this hand holding her ear and she just starts weeping and I came up to her after and I said oh can I ask you what the tears are about and she said I felt the hand of God grab my ear and I said what was the significance of that and she pulled her hair back and she didn't have an ear <laughs> and the Lord had just held her ear and said, I made you this way, but you're beautiful and I have a purpose and I want to use it. And that's the thing, Rodney, he redeems 
all these wounds and all these difficult things in our life, and he uses it for his glory. And because of my testimony, and only because of my testimony, do people perk up their ears and listen who wouldn't normally listen to this American white woman. You know, I'm up in the hill tribes of Thailand. I'm out with Syrian Muslim women in, in Lebanon, wherever I go, they're kind of, oh, here's this white woman who thinks she has something to say to me. And then I start out the conference sharing my story, tears in the audience, and they're listening. And they're like, oh, okay, you do understand. And sometimes I go into more details. So I think God redeems it and really opens beautiful doors for us to bring healing messages to others. I imagine that there's many of the women that will be at your conferences who already have a relationship with Christ, that they would already consider themselves as Christians. And this is part of, I guess, a development for them, a growth in that relationship. But there must also be women who come who maybe don't know Christ or or have a different understanding of faith. It must be mind-blowing for them to realize that this God that you speak of is not just far away, but wants to be close to them and has a personal interest in each one of them. What's it like when you see the lights go on for someone that this God you're talking about is personal? You said it right, that this God I'm talking about is personal. And so even like when I speak to a Muslim group who, of course, they respect Jesus as a prophet, but begin to learn that he's more than that. Um, is just a beautiful thing. And my goal isn't that, oh, convert them to religion. My goal is to really help them know the beautiful way that God sees them and all that he has done for them through the cross that allows them to now have that personal relationship. They're crying. Usually I'm crying. (laughs) It might be when I'm speaking, you see it, you know, People don't realize how much speakers see. You know, I see right into the eyes and the heart of people so often in audience. Usually our audiences are between 30 to 200. I really try to make eye contact throughout the audience. Obviously, I can't do that when it's bigger, but yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Tell me about your book. I mentioned that in the introduction, that you've written the book Broken But Undefeated. Tell me about that book. Yeah, that actually was a about a third book. But my first book and most important book, really, which I'd encourage anybody hearing this that's going, I really want this healing, is called Crown of Beauty 12-Week Women's Bible Study. So you can just look up on Amazon. My name's Sue Coral, C-O-R-L, no A in it. Crown of Beauty 12-Week Bible Study really takes you deep into the truths of who you are and who God is how we can even believe lies about God that like he can't really protect me. He can't take care of me due to the trauma of our past. And so it helps us begin to go, wow, I didn't even realize, but yeah, I'm believing these lies and how to get free from them through prayer and the word and the work of the Holy spirit. And it also touches on the work of um, spiritual warfare that really blinds us you know and keeps us from walking in victory so it's a really powerful 
book and we have it in seven languages online. It's in Spanish and French and English on Amazon. If you want it in Arabic or Chinese or Korean or Bengali, please just uh, email me. I assume you'll probably put that in the show notes, my email. I can send you a digital copy. But we really see so much transformation in people's lives. There's a leadership book to it as well. If you want to lead a group or if even you want to buy the leadership, because then it has all the answers. <laughs> but from that, then I began to write devotionals so that people could every day be digging into the word devotionally. You know, I have a lot of life stories and different things explaining different passages. So my next one was, my first devotional was More Beautiful by the Day. My next devotional is the one that you're talking about, Broken but Undefeated. And that actually is a I don't know, a study of Hebrews 11 going through all the people of the Hall of Faith that going through their stories devotionally about Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Elijah and all the people that are mentioned in the Hall of Faith. And it takes you, it was a full year study for me. So I put it into a one-year devotional called Broken But Undefeated. Then we have another one. We wrote a group of us during COVID where it really helps people deal with crisis for such a time as this. So, and I keep writing, so we'll see what comes out. (laughs) It's a great opportunity for people to get a better understanding of who they are. And as you say, of getting a better understanding of who God is. If people are interested to know more about this, where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so you can go on my website, crownofbeautyinternational.com, and it has everything. You can shop right on there. It goes right to the Amazon sites. You can hear our story. It pops up a video that tells you from me. You see me, and I tell a little bit of my testimony, and then some other people share testimonies of what we do in this ministry. We have conferences, so if you would want to invite us, just email me. There's a either the one that Rodney will attach or crownofbeautyinternational at gmail.com is another one you can use. We would love to come out and bless you if you're listening overseas. We really love that. And we're not ones here to make a profit. We raise support to try to come and really bless you. Just let us know. (laughs) I'm sure there'll be many wanting to, to get in touch before we wrap up. And I should say that, as you've mentioned, there will be connections in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. So if you missed any of those contact points, they will be there so that you can easily find them. But just before we finish, I know that this is a big issue for a lot of women, but we also know that there are men that are touched by these lies that they're told about themselves and they can often be different lies, but lies nonetheless. Is there help for for men that are suffering under the weight of those lies? Actually, there is. Yeah, we started a men's ministry uh, in 2017, and it's slowly been going, but now it's picking up, uh, called More Than Conquerors. And we have online Amazon, also under my name, but there's a group of pastors that worked with me called More Than Conquerors. 12-week Bible study. And it really very similar to the women's one. In fact, when I 
I train pastors in how to use these materials. I'll kind of merge the two. Yeah, you can write also to my same website if you want more information. Uh, we're trying to develop a team. I have a huge team here in Philadelphia for women, but we're slowly developing a men's team. Um, we've done these conferences in, for men in uh, Asia and we'd like to expand it. We're just starting to get it going in the U.S. It's amazing what you've experienced, what it has done in you, but also what God has taken that and used for the benefit of others. It's just inspiring. As I say, details in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net if people want to get in touch with you. But I just want to say thank you for sharing your story and thank you for spending some time on Bleeding Daylight. Oh, it's been my joy and my pleasure. Thank you so much, Rodney. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.